Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And today I cannot wait to hear how my friend Lisa answers this question because it's actually a question that I've had for about 18 years. Well, I don't have the answer. That's what Practical Access is about. It's about lots of suggestions mm -hmm. of possible solutions. And I think this answer does vary state by state, child by child and family by family. But the question that was asked by, again, a new teacher, again, lots of great new teacher questions and we appreciate you letting us know your novices in the field and need some support, is how do we help families uh, it secures needed services, and that might be in the school or in the community. And um, so I, I'm going to start with, I think the biggest thing to think about early on in your career is what is available. Uh, again, as you know, Becky and I know, all states are not created equal. And I'm going to give a clear example. I'm pretty certain Michigan still offers transition services till you're 25. I'm not going to say what other states, but many other states don't even offer good ones until you're 21. And so I think you have to think about, is this a preschooler? Is this a elementary student, a middle school student, a high school? The caller didn't say which one. Or is it transition? Because I think those service toolkits are very different. And the first thing I would do is go to the veteran in the building and say, all right, if there is one, what have you been offering? What did you know is in the community? What's in the library? What's the after-school tutoring program? What's appropriate for this kid? Where's our PT services, OT services? Oh, kids don't get those in our district, okay? Uh, how do I figure that out? And I so that's my first go-to is how do you help kids? I don't think you help if you don't really think about where they're at in your grade level and what specific things kids might need because I think often we say, oh, here's the IEP and here's the resources in the district. But oftentimes it's really beyond the district that families need support with. Your thoughts, Becky? Well, Lisa, as you know, I have such specific feelings on this topic. Because as, you know, again, a family member of a child with significant disabilities, yeah. I'm not a novice teacher. And my greatest frustration has been for the last 18 years having to navigate systems to get support for someone who cannot sit up, he can't walk, he can't talk, he's in a diaper, and I still can't get services for this child. And it is probably one of my greatest frustrations. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to take it from there, um, and, and I, I, I have no words except empathy uh, because I know you're not the only family member out there. <laughs> and and empathy is a good place to start. Yeah. So the kind of things, even in schools that have happened, over my experience, um, you try to get a walker so that you can try to get this young man out of a wheelchair, and nobody seems... To be able to figure out whose job that is. So one thing I would ask is that teachers, when they recognize a need, it can't be tabled. Mm -hmm. It can't be tabled. Uh, my nephew, wheelchairs. It's like, okay, well, yeah, we'll get that in three months. Oh, okay. And what do you want him to do until then? Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for, uh, it's hard for families, as my brother said about his son getting his 
Although he said, Becky, I can quit my job and be a full-time person who tries to round up services for myself, or I can keep making money <laughs> to try to buy them myself. Mm-hmm. So, so when it comes to supports and services, it has to be the thing that someone wakes up and thinks about every morning besides just the family. So I would say the first thing teachers could do, and this is whether you're special ed or general ed, look at the IEP, look at every single support and service day one, and make it a scavenger hunt. And don't stop until you have a plan for everything on that list. Because honestly, Lisa, no, very, very few people do that. Yeah, uh, and I don't disagree with you. And I, I think... I'm going to flip it and not to, to minimize, but I think the same is true when it's a hidden disability. Absolutely. You know, I think when we see something and it's a simple solution, we, we find a way to support that family. When the solution gets hard, it often is easy to see the buck be passed. Well, it's the kid's problem. It's the parent's problem. And I think it's the partnership and I know that's what you've done well with the schools when you, you know, have had the opportunity. It's the partnership between the school, the families, and the community services. And you well know that both of us have hit our head against the wall, not just with our own family members, but just with change of policy at the school, the district, the nation's level. And I think that's where you have to often say as a new teacher, do I need to call my legislature? person and know who is my congressperson and and advocate for that are there laws that need to be changed and again I'm not asking you to do one more thing as a new teacher but when you realize there's no other pathway that may be a pathway befriending someone else who has power that has a disability veteran teachers who say oh I know that there's not anybody does but this church down the road will give you X, Y, and Z for that child until we can get it in the district. And I do think that that's the best we can do, but it's never going to be enough. The last place I would really encourage you to advocate for is healthcare changes and to think about uh, funding for special ed. I, I mean, special ed has never been funded to the level, so it becomes this war of families want teachers see the need and yet everybody says no because of this this financial piece so not to belittle that that these aren't real and they're huge and they're ridiculous that we can't solve them but be careful protect yourself but also be an advocate i just think the word advocate can't come early enough in your career and and i think that's what families are doing so when they call you they're not there to if they bring a lawyer they're not there to take you out they're there to say my voice wasn't loud enough mm-hmm. so i need a second voice when that person comes people are going to say oh document you know <laughs> becky's been at meetings with me as an advocate i didn't bring her because i wasn't capable but as you heard from becky's voice it becomes emotional and when it becomes emotional the advocate is there to say let me make sure their voice is clear it's with compassion, but I'm asking for specific things. How can I help you with that? And I think it's a specificity that often gets forgotten. Yeah, and I, I, that's, that's actually what I was going to mention because at the end of the day, sure, we all can hop on and Google something and say, oh, this child needs this. And hey, parents, if you just go to this one website, that's going to solve all your problems. Um, our best services, and again, I'm just speaking from a family member standpoint, the greatest help we've received has been from um, organizations that are either private, nonprofits, 
And if wheelchairs for kids, for example, mm-hmm. here in, in, in Florida, that's how I got a wheelchair for my nephew. It was going through an outside agency because even the things that he would use at school, he didn't necessarily have access to at home. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned a walker. Well, short of buying, a, he might have one in the classroom. I know that teachers, and again, you said it varies state to state. It varies classroom to classroom, school mm-hmm. to school. But I know, you know that equipment is out there. It's just getting it to the kids. And then, even when they have it at school, if they don't have it at home to continue to practice with, whether it's a communication device, mm-hmm. whether it is training to use a communication device, if they don't have it outside of school, then there's a lot of, of learning loss in the time they're not there. So coordinating agencies, um, if, if there's anyone at your school, if they, ha- they haven't done it, uh, make, a, make a list. Think about it in terms of individual kids or, or at least individual types of disabilities and be very specific to what is reasonably and easily available in your own community outside of the school system because parents are desperate. I can't stress that part mm-hmm. enough. Parents are desperate for support. We have in Florida um, the Center for Autism and Related Disabilities. Um, they are a great resource for families of kids with ASD. Mm-hmm. We uh, again, I mentioned you know wheelchairs for kids. Of course, we have Down Syndrome Foundation of Florida. We have you know UCP of Central Florida. All of these agencies can help. But even more specifically, if we could give parents, okay, here's a list. Here's a list at least can get you started. Um, it's not enough to just send them to a single website. Yeah, and I'm going to end with don't be afraid of connecting parents. You know, mm-hmm. I will tell you that when my son was diagnosed with Tourette's, I didn't learn anything from anybody around me, not because they weren't brilliant. And I have a PhD in special ed. Nobody trained me in what Tourette's meant, but what I learned from was calling mom after mom after mom, like, where do you go? Oh, join the Tourette's Syndrome Associate. Great. Oh, make your son an ambassador so he learns to advocate for his needs. Oh, here's the Dyslexia Association, and they can provide this. And, you know, you would think as a professor in special ed, first-year teacher, I should have all of that. I didn't. So don't feel guilty about what you don't know, but do know your greatest resource would be parents who came before that child. They'll know what Becky just said all those great resources in the community, in your community, who are the go-to families? And sometimes people are like, oh, you know, don't have a group of parents together. That is actually your most powerful thing to do because they'll share with you what they can need and what they don't have and how you might put that all together. So we really commend you for bringing up this question. We know it's a hard one. We know the world is still not well endowed for getting services in schools and classrooms quickly. Um, you know, it can take one to three to five years, and then you're like, well, now that's not even a needed service anymore. But your job is to help advocate, to listen, and to bring that connection, whether it be another parent or community resource. And so we thank you for bringing us that question. And if you have questions, please feel free to put them on our Facebook page, or you can send us a tweet at Access Practical.